um, one of my relatives very close to me got diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and I watched his health just deteriorate and he was on more and more and more medications. His pill box, which for most people would be for a week was like by the hour of the day. And, you know, I got really involved and we said, you know, we need to change this. We're going to get involved and we're going to do this intervention with exercise and food. And it completely changed his life. And I thought we got to do this to more people. And so I left my job. Um, my husband and I started a farm, a regenerative farm. And then our strategy was to eventually get into meal kitting where we could help people bring that clean, healthy food into their daily life in a way that made sense. Because I think people are so confused. Well, what is healthy eating nowadays? Because there's so much different information out there. There's so much marketing, which is, I think, deceiving people. Um, so we just wanted to be a, a place where people could trust and bring education and bring knowledge and bring uh, different types of products that could just make it easier for people. I, I feel like living in other countries, I feel like we make it really hard <laughs> to eat healthy and I think it should be so much easier. On the Healthy Human Revolution podcast, Dr. Lori Marbus interviews nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests whose informative and inspiring stories will empower you with the knowledge to transform your life and health. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marvis, and today I'm so honored to introduce Jennifer Maynard, CEO of Nutrition for Longevity. How are you? Hello. <laughs> And it was so nice for you to join us. And this is really fascinating. So you've kind of taken a different approach to a food delivery system. Um, you know, there's purple carrot and some other things, but yours is like farm to table. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey into this space? Yeah. So um, maybe about 25 years ago, I actually embarked more into the, the pure healthcare space, um, I, I even started my career in biotechnology um, in the area of hemophilia, and um, I moved into that space. I had lost my uncle to AIDS um, in the 80s, and he really, he suffered immensely, and I just felt like the healthcare system kind of failed him at that time, and there wasn't really a standard of care. Um, so it really got me passionate about science and, and what can I do to kind of help people um, avoid these diseases or help them through these diseases. and it was really the start of biotech and that's where my degree kind of led me um, to say, this is, a, this is a new thing, maybe it can really help. And so I started my career in specialty medicines, working in the areas of HIV AIDS, uh, hematology different, um, uh, certain diseases and then certain uh, genetic disorders that really there were, weren't also a standard of care or there was older standards of care that needed updating. Um, and I was really passionate about it and I loved what I did and it was a space that I felt um, was making major advancements and there wasn't a lot you could do um, on the side of like herbal medicine and things like that. I mean, when someone has a genetic disorder and they're missing a clotting factor or a protein in their clotting, in their clotting cascade, um, they, they need treatments for that. So I was really passionate and loved it. And then I moved into the broader pharmaceutical arena and then into an executive role and after working in that area for a long time, I just felt like we were not making the progress that I wanted in the area of chronic illness, where I do feel that there's a lot more interventions that we can do with food and other types of lifestyle medicine. And so um, I just decided I wanted to take my business knowledge and everything I had learned in the healthcare space and bring it into um, especially the origin of food. Where, where does the food come from? How can we create this really healthy food? And how can we not just look at food as prevention, but also intervention? So I really believe in food as medicine. And I feel like I've always lived that way myself. I grew up on a homestead in Alaska. I've lived all over the world. And I've always had my own food, you know, growing my own food and having access to healthy, clean food. And I feel like I'm a really healthy person because of it. And I wanted to bring that to more people. And I would say for me, what kind of tipped the scale was um, one of my relatives very close to me got diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And I watched his health just deteriorate. And he was on more and more and more medications. His pill box, which for most people would be for a week, was like by the hour of the day. 
And, you know, I got really involved and we said, you know, we need to change this. We're going to get involved and we're going to do this intervention with exercise and food. And it completely changed his life. And I thought we got to do this to more people. And so I left my job. Um, my husband and I started a farm, a regenerative farm. And then our strategy was to eventually get into meal kitting where we could help people bring that clean, healthy food into their daily life in a way that made sense. Because I think people are so confused. Well, what is healthy eating nowadays? Because there's so much different information out there. There's so much marketing, which is, I think, deceiving people. Um, so we just wanted to be a, a place where people could trust and bring education and bring knowledge and bring uh, different types of products that could just make it easier for people. I, I feel like living in other countries, I feel like we make it really hard <laughs> to eat healthy and I think it should be so much easier. Um, so that's kind of been my journey. I literally like full circle went from super holistic living into really a pure science-based field. And then I would say now I'm somewhere in between and that's what I think real I think that is the future of medicine and, and that's what I call holistic medicine. I know a lot of people think that's more like voodoo, but I believe only when we bring those two things together, because I'm not an anti-modern uh, medicine person. I think there is a place for that. I think there's a lot of illnesses out there that need cutting edge science and medicine, but I think there's you know 80% of it that we're not focusing on that we can change with lifestyle. And so that's where I've decided to really shift my focus. Wow, that's awesome. So there are so many things I could ask. I was just thinking, question, question, question. Um, so well, let's talk about the book behind you because I'm very familiar okay. with Dr. Longo's work and I'm a huge fan. So why did you choose to focus on Walter Longo? Because there's so much, like you said, yeah. research, right? Why, yeah. why Dr. Longo? So what I loved about Dr. Longo is I feel like he's a, he's a purist. And what I loved about his approach is he first looked at what worked for areas for centuries and and he first looked at okay these places seem to be getting something right um and and there seems to be commonalities between it i'm going to research and figure out what it is behind that so we can bring it to the us and and places across the world that need help and so i love because i i've also studied herbal medicine and different things and um i always felt like and there were certain areas that seem to just ancestral understand these things. Maybe they didn't understand the science, but they passed it down generation to generation. And no one really ever has scientifically tried to research why, you know? And what I loved about Dr. Longo is he brought the science field to those solutions and said, okay, let's really research what is it exactly that's working with these communities and not just like a one-off here and there, but for, for um, centuries. And what he figured out is there's different patterns with fasting and there's different patterns with feeding. And so I really loved that. And I think there's a simplicity about it that's just really exciting to me because, okay, the science behind it is very complex, but how you can implement it is very simple. And it can be done by anyone. Um, he makes it as easy as possible. So I think it's something that's not just a crash diet. It's something that is shown to work long-term. And I think his practices are easy for people to do long-term. Like this is not just a crash diet I'm going to do for a month, but this is a lifestyle that I can adopt. And, you know, I love his book because he, he gives it all in his book. He really explains the science behind it. He explains how you can eat the diet, what the macros should be. You know, what we wanted to do is partner with him and we created actually nutrition for longevity with Longo, Dr. Longo. Um, because we really believed he had cracked the code in finding this simple solution of how people can start to change their life and start either um, preventing chronic illness or even in some cases having that intervention with food and fasting. And, you know, he has um, El Nutra, which is focusing on the commercial fasting products, and then we focused on the feeding products. So we mm -hmm. kind of uh, brought those two together in kind of a holistic solution. And um, again, I love, I, I am a science kind of geek and I love um, to understand how things happen, but I like that he already found areas that seem to, again, understand it. Like fasting is fascinating. There's so many civilizations through the history, like the history of time that have fasted and 
it's been passed down through so many religions and just different practices. And we've really lost it in the US. It's not nearly as common. And so he's trying to revive that because there were so many health benefits to it that we just never understood. And so those are the things that really made me excited about the overall diet. And it's, um, I think the other thing is once you really read the science, it makes complete sense. Um, but when you first look at it, you're like, it's really the opposite of our Western diet <laughs> in almost every way. Um, so, you know, he focuses on, you know, we're overdoing protein in the US. We consume about 50 grams more protein a day than we need. And it actually is causing an acceleration of our aging genes. And so he goes into the science behind that, because if you look even at consumer reports, the first thing people are always focused on is, am I getting enough protein? Mm -hmm. And in reality, even plant-based food, you can get enough protein if you do it the right way. And he really emphasizes that because the diet is mainly plant-based um, with small amounts, uh, in some cases, of fish-based protein, but you can also do it. We offer a pure vegan meal as well. Um, and, and you can definitely get all of your protein from plants. Um, and then the second one is it's very low in sugar. And that's, I mean, it's ironic to me that we also consume about 50 grams more added sugar a day than in, in the US than we need. Um, I mean, we don't need any added sugar, <laughs> but um, you know, it's 58 pounds of sugar a year per American that we're consuming, that's a lot of sugar. And it also accelerates your aging genes. So we literally know it's causing us to age faster and one of, the biggest like prompts to aging is chronic illness so you know he he gives these keys to things that you can start adjusting in your diet and starting to reduce in your diet that can really truly impact your aging in a in a major way awesome yes that he's the science is laid out and it, it is a really fascinating read especially as a physician using you know those type of tools in buddhist medicine i've been working with patients for about eight years just on a plant-based diet and had yes. phenomenal success. We actually launched um, plant-based telehealth about three months ago and have been very busy and we're trying to bring lifestyle medicine with using food as medicine across the United States. We're in about 38 states so far. Awesome. Um, it's very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, launching a business, that's, that's quite, it's quite an ordeal. So I, I applaud <laughs> you and I completely understand. Um, it's, it is a, it's a beast of a thing, but it's so worth it to see the end results. So can you explain to us what regenerative farming is and how that's different from conventional farming? Because I, I don't think people quite grasp what that difference is and why it's so very important. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I love talking about the history of farming because I think it, it a lot of people don't understand it. Even farming is really what colonized the U.S., which I think is really fascinating. And it was driven a lot by the railroads as we built um, even the East Coast railroad system, but especially when we built the intercontinental railroads, they needed people to populate these areas. And so they actually brought in immigrants from Germany, farmers from Germany, um, uh, Ireland, all these different areas that were known for farming and they gave them free farmland. And so when we first started, you know, in the early, or I guess late 1800s, 90% of America were farmers. And so wow. people were very connected to their food. They were very connected to the soil, but it was very cheap. And so we actually, even from that point in time, have been kind of abusing the land. And if, and if we overused it, we could get cheap land right next door. And so on the East Coast, though, we had um, the start of some, even back then, regenerative farms, and they were very successful. But what ended up happening is the areas where we had the most fertile land also is where we built our cities. So we actually started having this major urban sprawl and we started having the cities and asphalt and pavement start covering all of our best land and we moved the farms out to the less fertile land. And then we started over tilling it and using a lot of farming practices that were actually fairly destructive to try to produce more and more food as fast as we could on less fertile land. And that trend has continued to happen. Um, and you know, it, it kind of came to head with the Great Depression and you had the Dust Bowl where we ended up in a major food crisis. And at that point, the government kind of take, took control of the entire farming sector um, and setting prices and subsidies and things like that. And that's basically stayed with us. It's, it's really the only industry that's controlled in that sort of a way still to this day. 
and it's had a major impact on farming across the U.S. and it's driven a lot of, you know, we, we subsidize heavily five main crops and most of those are grain crops for meat production. And so if you look at the way things are subsidized in the way that that farming has been kind of pushed in that direction, um, it's major monocropping and heavy tillage. And in, then in the 50s, more and more chemicals started getting used. And what's happened over that time since the 50s is our soil organic matter has gone from about 11% on average down to about one. And soil organic matter is that structure in the soil that builds the soil microbiome up and creates this, this living ecosystem under our feet. And it's also what helps us retain water. So every 1% of soil organic matter, it's about 170,000 gallons of water retention per acre. So if you think of California and areas that are in major drought um, that are struggling with water, that is one solution for us is to just build our soil organic matter back up because then the soil becomes this sponge that holds the water in and allows the plants to take it up in their, into their roots as needed. Um, and then monocropping as well, it's actually destroying a lot of our soil biodiversity, which is really important for the plants. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so that soil organic matter is really important. It's also a major carbon sink. We've lost about two thirds of our carbon in our soil. So it's one of the best reservoirs to sequester carbon back into the soil and out of the atmosphere. So it's a huge opportunity for climate change. It's probably the biggest one that we have in front of us and the least costly to start reversing climate change. So regenerative farming tries to address all of those things by building that soil organic matter back up. So everything we do is to try to build the soil up. So just a few examples of things we do is we try to keep the ground covered as much as possible because the soil is also sensitive and the living organisms in it to UV light, just like your skin, you wanna cover it and protect it. Um, you wanna keep, and that also keeps moisture in as well. And we don't till, so as soon as we lay our bed rows, we try not to disrupt that soil again and just continue to build on top of it. And we add a lot of organic matter just to speed up the process with compost um, that gives it these rich nutrients, but also starts building up that soil structure. And again, that allows us to have less erosion. We don't have our farm soil running off into the rivers full of chemicals, but we actually are keeping it on our land and building it up. Um, and so those are some of the things that are really important that we focus on on our farm is just how do we build up that soil and build up that biodiversity because more and more research is now shifting from, you know, you started with the, the Human Genome Project, which put a lot of funding into understanding the human body and all of the, not just our own body, but the other plus 50% of non-human cells that make up our body and our holobiome. And then especially a lot of focus went on to the gut microbiome and now even linking that to a lot of chronic illness if we don't have a healthy gut microbiome. And some of that research has shifted over to the soil microbiome, which is incredibly similar actually to the gut microbiome. The rhizosphere microbiome, which is where the root base of the plant is, is so incredibly similar to the gut microbiome. It's like this incredible neural network that holds a lot of the immune system of the plant and um, has a lot of the nutrient exchange. And you know they, they call the gut now the second brain of the human body the rhizosphere microbiome where the root is, is also like the second brain of the plant. And what we also are finding out is this microbiome is much more involved in even how we express our, or sorry, how plants express um, their genetics. And so that was something even in the human body that is, is more recently understood on, you know, how we're actually using these organisms as a way to protect against stresses. And if we have fewer of them to pull on, um, we have less ability to cope with stress. So when we don't have a lot of biodiversity in our soil, a plant also has less ability to cope with stress. So we see, you know, um, and the other thing that's fascinating with plants is they pass down part of their um, holobiome from seed to seed. So they have some like heritage knowledge of how to deal with say drought if even a hundred years ago um, that plant's ancestors had been exposed to drought, they actually can pull on that microbiome and understand how I need to send down deeper roots. I need to send more lateral roots and finer root fibers, which is a way of it expressing its DNA. And so you have to look at it as this overall system now that it's not just the plant, but it's this whole 
um, ecosystem that is allowing that plant to thrive. And what we've been really fascinated about and what we even focus a little bit in the diet is also that builds a lot of phytonutrients. So when, when this rhizosphere microbiome is communicating with the plant, it's telling it, you need to defend against this, create these phytonutrients or phytochemicals in the plant to protect the plant. And when we consume these phytonutrients, we actually get similar stress coping mechanisms in the human body. And so we focus a lot on varieties of crops that are very colorful and we focus on different phytonutrients and then we grow them organically. And there's been now extensive studies showing that that is putting the plant through more stress and it's actually um, resulting in higher micronutrients because it doesn't, it's, it's not kind of being pampered in um, like this perfect environment and giving exact chemicals, it's having to figure out how to cope with that stress and pull from its microbiome all of this knowledge that's in this overall ecosystem. So it's just, it's very fascinating. And I think for us, the biggest thing is to look at it in this really holistic way that it's not just the plant and it's not just the soil and it's not just these exact chemicals that we need to add, but we need to allow the holistic system to find balance, just like the human health and the human body, you gotta find balance and you need to nurture that balance and find ways that you can support it in the soil. That's uh, really cool. I love the ancient knowledge that's passed down. It's just like <laughs> your family telling you the secrets to recipes or something, but Absolutely. they literally could save the human life and everything else. So there's so much here. Um, as far as the meal plan, so I ordered some of the, the vegan ones. They're quite delicious. And um, what you know, how do you guys come up with the different meal plans? Where do you pull your recipes from? Who's designing them? How do you decide what to send and grow? And what does that whole operational yeah. system look like? Yeah, so we, um, we, all of our recipes are inspired from longevity regions. So some of those came from Dr. Longo himself, where he's gone to these regions for, you know, three decades and researched how they eat and part of that is also consuming the food and trying it and meeting with these incredible families and they a lot of them have openly shared their recipes which then he's shared with us um, so some of them literally are from centenarian families that have passed these down generation to generation actually quite a few of them are and then other ones we've sent teams out to also still meet with these centenarian families and understand their favorite recipes and why and even understand their farming practices and how they're growing the food. And then based on a lot of those recipes, we select what crops are literally exactly seeds from those regions or seeds that we can essentially emulate those, those same beneficial properties. And then um, what Longo did in his research figure out is exact macro requirements that were shared across all of the longevity regions he researched. And so certain amounts, all of them had, for example, beans as a main source of protein across every single region. And so our, our diet is very heavy in different types of legumes and beans um, because it is such a rich source of protein and there's, there's a lot of health benefits. And he has more um, studies and research coming out just specifically about beans and the types of proteins and why they're so healthy for the human body. So, so those types of things are what we built into the program is exact recipes, exact macros, and then we have a team of chefs and dietitians that will also create some fusion dishes. So there's some variety of flavor and, and different things. And then we'll take the different crops and, you know, create some different varieties, like some different salad dressings, even though some of the base uh, vegetables might be similar, you know, how can we spice it up with some different uh, salad dressings with our olive oil still being a base of all of those dressings. So we keep some things consistent and then we change other things to get a, a good flavor profile. And then they work with our farm manager to really lay out the crops very carefully throughout the year. And we, we set seasonal menus. So, you know, in fall, we have a lot of things with butternut and uh, purple canola sweet potatoes and things that are in season at that time. So it's, it's a bit complicated the way we cycle our menus and have like different types of ingredients. And then we work obviously with our own farms. How do we, um, make sure we're growing those exact crops and communicating to the dietitians and chefs like now um, in the next two weeks we're going to have garlic scapes and so how can we do garlic scape pesto and different things and have this incredibly nutrient rich part of the garlic plant 
available to a lot of consumers that may have never cooked a garlic scape in their life. So we also try to make it fun. And I would say most people give us a lot of feedback. Like I would have never tried this before, but I loved it. And so we are trying to bring those kind of unique things to people um, that they can cook very easily, but get a little bit adventurous and have great flavor profiles behind it. So, so that's kind of the, it started with a huge collection of recipes and then we've continued to build on that as we send teams out to these different regions. And we love meeting with the farmers there and understanding their regenerative farming techniques because they also grow regeneratively um, and just trying to bring as much of that knowledge back before it's lost. Because a lot of these regions, unfortunately, they're not passing it down to the, well, they're trying to pass it down to the next generation, but it's not being always adopted. And so we're hoping that we can keep that heritage knowledge for you know humans as well just like the plants do and not lose that um, over the years absolutely that is incredible so you get to actually go and meet these families i want to yes. go on one of your trips you should start or you know like organizing like i don't know farm trips or something and bringing we, people along. we do yeah we really? do farm trips at our farm um you know right now not so much but normally we do a lot of farm events and we we even have considered doing different um, trips out to some of these regions because it's it's amazing like uh like Nicoya Costa Rica if you go there you know you might be walking down the beach and you meet someone and you're talking to them and they're like oh you gotta meet my dad and then you meet the dad and they're like you gotta meet my dad <laughs> it's like you just don't see that in the U.S. and it's literally you meet three generations of families like within a day of them just like dragging you over to meet their, their, oh, my dad's a farmer, you gotta meet him, and his dad's a farmer, and they're all living right next to each other, and living this similar lifestyle, and it's just, it's incredible, so the more we can bring that knowledge back to people, or even bring them there without damaging their, um, their environment, and, and stuff is, I think, really important, so that's one of our big things, is the education component, and finding ways that we can bring that to people um, in a meaningful way. Absolutely. Do you ever work with Rodell? We're trying to actually build a, re a relationship with Rodell because so awesome. we a lot of my team has taken training courses through there and we're really fascinated with what they've done there. They're absolutely incredible and they're getting very involved in the food as medicine kind of mission. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually uh, just this week have been starting some uh, deeper communication with them. So that's yeah, awesome. I'm hoping we can definitely uh, have a deeper collaboration with them because they're not far from us and they've done so much great foundational work with regenerative farming. Yeah, absolutely. You have some good friends there and, and Scott Stoll Plantation Project working with their food as medicine component. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I work with Scott from the Plantation Project. We actually started a journal, an international journal of disease reverse, rever prevention and reversal. But um, what's cool about that is we're trying to bring the science in light of you know, all of the, you know, for example, I may read a study that was written by Dr. Campbell, for example, or it might be in like a, you know, gerontology, cardiology journal, but I'm a family medicine doc. I'm not going to read yeah. gerontology, cardiology <laughs> journal, but you know, the IGDRP, which is our journal, actually, we're trying to be like the umbrella to bring in, you know, these, you know, uh, studies and really get to a point where there's a common place for people to go and look for. Absolutely. Here's where we're seeing the research where disease is re reversed or it's prevented. Um, Dr. Kim Williams is our editor-in-chief. I'm the managing editor, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Punctuation yeah. Project is our, our sponsoring organization. So um, mm -hmm. that's really cool. The, the key thing that I was curious about is, does all the food come from your one farm? And what was the biggest thing that you've learned over the course of doing all this? Like what is... <laughs> Or one of many, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So we try to grow most of the food on our farm. We, you know, we originally were like, we grow everything on the farm and it's just not feasible to grow all the grains and all the vegetables. So we try to grow as much of the vegetable crops as possible on our farms, the fresh produce. Um, we do have to, like our olive oil, we specifically bring from a centenarian region in Italy that's very, very special. It has a very high polyphenol count and um, a, a high uh, oleic acid. Um, so it's, it's something that we very specifically sourced and we have organic coffee as well because a lot of our consumers drink coffee but they don't realize coffee is one of the heaviest pesticide um, utilized crop and crops and so they think they're drinking this delicious beverage but they don't realize it could be an incredibly healthful um, 
beneficial beverage as well because it's higher in antioxidants than blueberries. So, but a lot of times it's chocked full of chemicals. So we try to tell people try to at least get organic or something that's also regeneratively farmed so it's not damaging rainforests. And so we have our own coffee um, to make sure we can make that available. And it's, it's incredibly smooth, even as a black coffee. And, you know, it has two and a half times the antioxidants of blueberries and 20 times of kale. So people hmm. think it's kind of a guilty pleasure. It doesn't have to be as long as you're drinking the healthy versions of it. Um, so there's things like that, that we source outside. Um, and even if we have a crop shortage or something, we will try to source from other local farm, organic farms that we can, that we know their practices and that we can acquire their produce. But most of it we get from our own farm. We grow year round in New Jersey even, and we're expanding actually to a few other regions um, this year. So we're really excited to be moving to other states and, and expanding what we're doing. Um, so yeah, and then, and then we do gluten-free grains and some of those grains are also obviously sourced because grain farming is very different than vegetable farming. So again, the fresh produce is where we focus a lot of our efforts. Um, we grow about 300 varieties on our farm. It's a very biodiverse farm. <laughs> so yes. it keeps us busy. Um, it's, it's really exciting. We love for people to come to the farm and connect with nature because there's, we have a, a pollinator habitat that's dedicated just to build up the pollinators and native um, insects because those are down by about 80% in the last 20 years, which is really scary. Um, so we're doing everything we can to also build up these different habitats, which help our farm um, in the long run, but it's, it's something that's really important to us. Um, so yeah, we grow, we grow a lot of produce on our farm, um, and it's things, you know, we can, a lot of people say you can't feed the world with organic and regenerative farming, and that's actually not true. We get much higher yield than a conventional farm, and just as an example, our practice of keeping the ground covered, part of that is intercropping. So we may grow onions, which take a good six months to grow, so they're a very long duration crop. But if you just left the onions in your field, and, and a lot of mechanical um, conventional farming requires that because you can just lay that and maybe they lay plastic or they spray chemicals to keep anything but the onions. Uh, but what we'll do is we'll plant, say, radishes with it, and we get maybe three rotations of radishes before those onions are ready. So we're keeping the ground covered and we're actually allowing the soil microbiome to build up, but we're also gaining food at the same time. And so there's different ways you can farm and get really good yields, but still be building up your soil. I mean, we've built up our soil incredible at our farm, you know, two to 3% just in the last two years on the plots that we've done extensive cover cropping and composting. Um, so you can do it and you can actually get much higher yields than traditional farming. Wow. So how big is your farm? So our farm, what we focus on is we call it micro farms. Um, so for an organic farm, it's probably not so micro. It's 40 acres. And all of our farms, the model is um, 40 to 100 acres. So we'll max out at 100 acres. And that's because it is a very biodiverse farm and we don't use as much uh, mechanization after things are established. Um, so really, again, we cut beds into the soil and once those beds are cut, we continue to just build on those beds. Um, and we don't use any synthetic chemicals. So it does take time. And you asked what I learned over the last few years. <laughs> and I think what's incredible is as a farmer, you have to appreciate that you never know. Um, you never really know how to be the best farmer. Every year you're, you're tackling a totally different thing. And especially as an organic farm, you're building up an ecosystem. And every time you do that, you're kind of building a new layer of the food chain. <laughs> so, you know, the first year you might be building up your earthworms and your nematodes and finding balance there. And then the next year, the snails and the slugs are like, oh, we have some great um, vegetation to now eat. And so the last year you were dealing with different pests and then the next year you're dealing with new ones. Um, so it's, you know, we have some mentor farms that we uh, regularly discuss things with. And the first thing they'll tell you is I've been doing this for 30 years and I know nothing. And <laughs> I definitely think you have to be really humble as a farmer that you really never know it all. Like you never will. It's a, it's a learning journey every year and you have to learn from your mistakes and you have to learn from other people's mistakes. And sometimes it's not a mistake. Sometimes it's a blessing in disguise and you realize, oh, you know, that kind of crop failure we had there actually prepared us for this other one. Um, so you really learn how to think on the fly, how to be nimble. And 
it's hard because the easiest thing would be, I'm just going to spray pyrethrin all over this crop. And our first thing is no, what can we do to physically um, support this? What can we do to do it naturally? And what can we do to do it biologically, which for us means bringing in pollinators and other beneficial insects that can help or even beneficial plants. Like we grow a lot of intercropping also to protect the plants from pests. Um, and, and when can we just let the plant kind of fend for itself and build up its own phytochemicals and then the pests eventually go away. So um, that was probably the biggest thing is I'm, <laughs> I won't say I'm a control freak or a perfectionist, but I probably am a bit. And with farming, you, you can't fully be a perfectionist, at least not as an organic farmer. So it's definitely been a learning journey there. Well, as a scientist, you want to control the variables, and I, yeah. I imagine you're yeah. you're fighting a very natural instinct for you to want to do that. So yeah. I, I I totally get it. as a physician, you learn real quick that each human's a little different. And you just yes. gotta let, <laughs> and they have their own thoughts. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so when you talk about, you know, this is like a, a family adventure. You said you brought your husband along for the adventure. So where is this headed in your future, do you think? Is this a, a family thing that will be handed down? What is, what is your goal for your company? Potentially, I mean, for me, I wanted to expose my children to healthy food and where their food comes from. Because now, you know, I said initially, you know, 98% actually of the U.S. was farmers, so more than 90%, and now less than 2%. So people are just, especially children, are so disconnected from the food chain and where their food comes from. And it was really important for me, and I grew up this way on a homestead, to be connected to nature, to be connected to how their food is grown. And I mean, even at home, even though we have a huge farm right down the street, we still have a garden um, because I, I want my kids playing in the garden and learning how to grow their own food. Um, I don't know, my son is really into technology and he probably will want nothing to do with farming, but you know, I, I do show him that there's a tech side of farming as well that's really exciting and can help feed the future, but in a, like a lot of innovation is needed in organic farming. I feel like it's one of the last industries that has had so little real innovation in a productive way. So I think bringing in some technology can be really beneficial. So. Um, my daughter loves being in the garden and, and playing with animals and things like that. So she's um, probably a little bit more moving in that direction, but I don't know. I want my kids to do what their passion is, but I want them to at least be exposed to it. So, um, you know, they, they tag along. Sometimes they're out at the farm. We have goats um, that we rescued from a slaughterhouse and they're on the farm as well. And they're part of the kind of the family on the farm and some chickens. We don't sell the meat or the, or anything like that. They're just there to help regenerate the soil. Um, so they also really enjoy the interaction with the animals and everything. So um, I just think that's, I think it's important as much as possible. I don't think everyone can have their kids at a farm, but we, we do really encourage families to come visit and let their kids pick berries and do different things to interact just with nature. Cause we're so disconnected now. And most, most, you know, people, especially in cities, they're, they're interacting with concrete and asphalt instead of the soil. Um, mm. So that's, for me, what's the most important thing to pass down to my kids. And, and then we'll see where they want to take it. Yeah, you never know where your kids, you know, my kids are all in their yeah. 20s now and one in medical school, the other two are like, I want nothing to do with medicine. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but my husband was an engineer and they're like, don't want to be an engineer. So I got one in marketing, one in film, but they're all plant-based. They're all moving in the direction of, you know, spreading the message of, you know, food yeah. is medicine. So I think you're definitely going to be, it'll be exciting. It's fun to see them grow and yeah. develop into their own worlds. Um, so I'm, you also work with, um, on your website, you mentioned working with you know, different corporations, you have a different program available for maybe those employers who want to take a step in helping mm -hmm employees actually develop health which is a huge interest yeah. of mine as well can you describe that a little bit so maybe there's yeah. someone who would be interested absolutely so any corporations that are looking to offer programs we have different tiers so if they want to help contribute to that we have some programs for corporations for their health and wellness programs we also offer more just add-ons if they want to just give a discount to their employees we have some programs there where they don't have to bring anything from their side to the table other than bringing this great discount offer to their employees. Um, we actually do that for some of the biggest tech companies in the US already, and they are really excited about being able to bring this 
um, really healthy food because obviously there's a benefit if you're if your employees are healthy and they're thriving they're going to be able to be at work more and less you know absenteeism and uh, more you know alertness and and just better productivity um, so we see a lot of companies starting we, we have onboarded already um, over 50 companies and so that's something that's really important to us we're going to start offering office snack packs as well so there's a few products that we're even targeting to that um, you know, community, because I think it's really important when people are working that they're fueled properly. Um, again, so they're not being sick as often, but especially that they can be at their best and be alert and, and have that healthy food. And, you know, I, I worked in Switzerland for three years and um, even my company had a fruit Monday where they just had fresh fruit out in the pantries. And I thought it was so such an incredible thing that you just don't really see in the US. So those are things that we'd love to, you know, bring to, um, corporations in the U.S. and just allow them to cater to their employees with healthy food. And um, so that's something that we definitely offer. And then um, we, we have kind of a special program also for doctors that want to offer this to their patients as well. So we're just launching that program in the next few weeks. So we're really excited yeah. if there's any physicians that are interested. Yes. Um, we have some special programs. Yes. <laughs> Count me in. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then we're working really heavily on food as medicine and uh, really, you know, moving into, you know, payer coverage in that arena, because I don't believe that food should just be about prevention. I think it should be an absolute first response with intervention as well. And so we're really pushing that envelope in that space um, to also bring this to more people. You know, we do get feedback, like it's expensive to eat healthy. So we also try to educate and find ways to make it very affordable. Um, so we're actually launching right now um, sorry, it's raining here. <laughs> oh, no, we're launching okay. right now um, also just a produce box. So we're trying to give people a complete option based on their lifestyle. Do you just need the clean food? Do you want it half prepared with our meal kits? And then in about two months, we're launching ready-made meals as well. So then it gives people all these lifestyle choices that they can really kind of pivot based on what they need. Because some people say, I just, I just need a kickstart. I just need a few recipes and getting in a rhythm and then I can do it myself. And some people are like, just do it all for me or I'm gonna fall off the bandwagon. And so we just try to help whatever your lifestyle need is, we try to provide that. So some really exciting stuff in the next few weeks we're rolling out and then in the next few months. So it's exciting, we're very busy, <laughs> but it's yes. all good stuff. Yes, I, I understand this very well. So that is really, um, we'll have to talk offline about some other things. I have some ideas for you. Um, as far as the additional, um, for just the individual, where should they go? What should they do? Do you have recommendations for someone yeah. who's, you know, all the, you have, you have several different options. Can you explain you have a fasting one, you have a diabetic one, you have a vegan, yes. you have pescatarian. What, what would, where would someone start? Let's say. Yeah. So, I mean, we, Obviously, if you just want to eat it more, again, more, I just want to eat healthy. We have the full vegan gluten-free, um, which is if you really want to be plant-based and, and we encourage even people that eat meat to eat more of a reducetarian diet. So that's one of our biggest things is reducetarian. Don't be afraid of a label like vegan. Um, it can be a really easy way to transition into it. And we get a lot of people saying, I didn't think it would be this easy to eat plant-based and I actually love it. And we're like, yes, it's wonderful. And it can taste wonderful and you can feel full um, and have all the protein you need. So those are things that we, with a lot of people will say, you know, you can start with the vegan one. And, you know, even if you want to add a little bit of meat on the D's, you don't have it, try to move more plant-based. And then we have the pescatarian you know, people above 65 should be getting a little bit more protein and, and Longo talks about that in his book. And a lot of the longevity regions have small amounts of fish. So it's very portion controlled, um, but it is a way that people that are concerned of a pure plant-based can start easing into that. Um, so those are the two base ones. And then we launched a diabetes friendly, which has very um, tight carb levels throughout the day. So if you do continuous blood glucose monitoring, you know, you can see that there's less of those spikes at the day and it kind of helps you stabilize. And so it's really based on a, on a healthy, uh, mainly plant-based or plant, uh, plant forward. You can also pick the vegan and the pescatarian in that version. Um, but it's really mainly got that tighter, more controlled carb range throughout the day. Um, and then obviously the benefits, the portion controls, because it's really exact calorie levels that you're getting with each meal. And then um, 
the intermittent fasting one is just to really encourage people to live a, a circadian rhythm intermittent fast, which we believe is the easiest one for people to practice and incorporate into their daily lives. And that's, you know, Longo really says, again, the longevity regions really practice this. And, and we even used to very much in the US, but now that we have access to food pretty much 24 seven and TV and all these things, we don't really allow our cortisol to come down and our melatonin to go up and get our body in this rhythm. So it's important for your sleep. It's important for weight management, even diabetes. So the intermittent fasting is just a very simple, we gives just extra information and tools for people to get into that circadian rhythm and get all the benefits from that. So um, those are just the different varieties that we've um, started to offer. Now we have a lunch dinner only for people that like a different breakfast than we offer. So we're just, again, as I mentioned, trying to offer different lifestyles. And next week we're launching the produce box, which all the people that trialed it just were so excited. Um, so we're, we're really happy to launch that as well. Um, and then, like I said, in a few months, the, the ready-made meals will be available because a lot of people just are like, I'm too busy and I want to be able to just like come home from work and just have this healthy food. So, um, so that's coming down the road. And I, people do ask, we have dietitians that people can call as well. Um, it's part of our service. If they're totally like, I don't know what I need. Maybe I want to lose five pounds, but I'm concerned about this. Um, they can give real good guidance on which would be the best diet for them. And then we also, anyone that's interested in the book, they can reach out and we give the book um, so they can read more of the science behind it. And there's also a lot of guidance in there as well. So they understand the science behind it. Our, our meal kits also come with a menu guide that has a lot of the tips and stuff like summarized in there. Um, but if somebody really wants to read it and there's parts that are just, I mean, they blow your mind that, um, these regions have been doing this for hundreds of years and we're just like figuring it out. Um, but the book is also a great resource. So if any of your, um, if any of your listeners are interested, they can reach out. So it's nutritionforlongevity.com fully spelled out is our website. There's a lot of resources on there. There's our um, customer service number as well um, where they can access us. And as I mentioned, we just launched our coffee and our olive oil. So we're really excited about that as well because people were like, where do I get this outside of the kit? And so we've now launched that as well. That's phenomenal. And I'll definitely put all the links in your information on where people can find that. So I always like the last, you know, the last question and thank you so much for your time. I know it's pushing towards the hour here. Um, what would be the last bit of advice that you would say someone who is maybe struggling with chronic disease is the one thing that you feel like they should be focused on or do you have advice for someone who may be considering and teetering just might be enough to push them over the edge? Um, I, I think for me, it would be one of the things I see and, and we see with a lot of people is just the amount of sugar that they consume in their day-to-day -day diet without even knowing with beverages. Like I talk to people and they're like, well, I only drink healthy beverages. I drink tea. And I was like, well, how much sugar is in your tea? Oh, I don't think there's so much sugar. It's just, it says lightly sweetened and it'll have like 20 grams of sugar. And I'm like, mm. um, so I think there's, and, and I've, I, every, like every other month I do kind of like a sugar detox just to see and, and be more aware of my sugar. And it was really eye opening when I moved to Europe because everything tasted really bland when I first moved there and I eat pretty healthy. And I was like, wow, I don't know what it is. And then I'd come back here and if I ate any sweets, I would just, it would, it would be so intense. I couldn't, I couldn't even eat like a second bite. Mm. And I just realized everything, our sauces, our salad dressings have so much sugar in them. So I just encourage people to, to, I know it's kind of a nuisance to read labels, but just to be aware of what you're putting in your body and start really paying attention to sugar because it literally accelerates your aging genes. It actually blocks some of your enzymes and your different functions that help you actually build your cells back up. So I, I think sugar is one of our biggest challenges and I think it's very linked, very much linked to chronic illness. And so I just encourage people, it's okay. Like people will say, can I not have fruit? And I'm like, well, I, I mean, <laughs> you shouldn't eat like a massive bowl of fruit every day, but I, I rarely see people that are challenged because they eat too much fruit. So <laughs> I'm like your natural sugars, you're probably fine. But the added sugar is where I think we just got to be careful. And, and just adding more fruits and vegetables to your diet. Only one in 10 Americans even eats the minimum requirement that they recommend, the five to six servings a day. So 
I think if people take that into consideration and they understand some of the causes of chronic illness, just getting that fiber alone could, could benefit so many things and benefit your gut microbiome. So I think the sugar and then just adding more healthy fruits and vegetables to your diet, anything you can really get into your body and, and you know, whether it's a salad and just adding a few extra vegetables. And one easy way I tell people is I said, if you go into a restaurant, th think of it this way. If you go into a restaurant and you order your entree, you pick your entree, it's usually a huge slab of meat in, in your average restaurant, right? And then your side dishes are these tiny little like half cup of, of, of mashed potatoes and a half cup of broccoli. And I'm like, we need to flip that. Your your entree should be the veg the the main course should be the vegetables, and then if you're gonna have a piece of meat, it should be a tiny piece as your side dish, and then another like healthy um, grain or or starch or something like that. Um, so I think if people just start flipping that, it would help their their health so much. Um, but it's definitely something that we've ingrained in our mind in the U.S. that it's got to be the meat and then the side dishes. <laughs> and so I tell people just flop that and try to get more fruits and vegetables and they will never believe the change that it'll make in their body with weight management, with just the way they feel, their skin clarity. Um, there's just so many benefits to it. And I tell people, try to do it for a month. If you stick with it with a month, I don't think you'll ever go back because you'll notice the difference in your body like so fast. Mm -hmm. So those are, those are my tips. You, those are phenomenal tips. And I agree 100%. And, you know, I, some of the talks I've done for kids and schools, cause I was very active with my, when my boys were when my two boys were still in high school, daughter, not so much when she was in high school, but, um, you bring out the teaspoons just in, you know, four grams equals one teaspoon of sugar. And you literally put it in a bag. It's like, you're drinking this with one soda. And they're just like, you know, their eyes get big. And I'm like, would you, I'm like, well, eat the sugar right now. Cause that's pretty much all you're doing. And so, yeah. um, you know, just putting in those visual terms is so very important, but you're exactly right. So, but thank you so much for your time. That was thank a wonderful you. conversation. And I feel like we could have gone much deeper. I'd love to hear about your travels and living other places and all those amazing things, but we so appreciate you. And um, I am sure there'll be, my audience is right up your alley. So um, I'm sure they'll do very well. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me and everything you do also to share this message. Um, Cause I think you, you share wonderful messages to your community and your patients. So thank you. Thank well. you. I appreciate you.